There we go. So burnout. Over the last several years, it's affected many people, maybe even you. It can happen with your work and with your relationships. But what exactly is it? What are the symptoms? And more importantly, how can you head it off or heal it if you're experiencing it? Well, functional medicine specialist and burnout recovery expert, Elizabeth Collins is here to shed light on this timely topic. So Elizabeth, thanks for coming on the show and, and throwing some light on what I think could be a really confusing thing for people. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I always really appreciate a platform to talk about burnout, and I don't get to talk about it much in the context of relationships. So this is really fantastic. So can you describe burnout? I mean, what it is and also maybe what it isn't so that people can get a better idea of, am I experiencing this? Absolutely. This is a really good question, and I get it a lot because we don't have a whole lot of structure around what burnout is. So one of the first people to really bring the burnout buzzword to the masses was a researcher named Dr. Christina Maslach, and she created the Maslach Burnout Inventory. They had been looking at um, populations of people where burnout was very high, which was largely in the medical field. Mm -hmm. And so the first markers that they looked at with that, um, the, the way that they identified it, they had three primary ones initially, and they were depersonalization, um, a decreasing sense of satisfaction in the work that you do and exhaustion. Okay. So you can actually apply those to broader circumstances. And I think anybody who has obviously lived through the pandemic the last couple of years would say that like burnout can come from a variety of places. Mm -hmm. I burnt out as an entrepreneur. And as you said, people can burn out in their relationships. So when we start looking at burnout with sort of a broader scope and we, we stop looking at that myopic view of like, this is just healthcare providers. What we see burnout as is a state of sustained chronic stress that over time, reduces your ability to handle day-to-day -day stress with ease. So okay. it becomes this compounding effect where you start to not be able to handle day-to-day -day stressors the same way that you normally would with the same kind of resiliency. Okay, well, that's interesting. So how does, you know, so how does it differ from just like having a bad day or a bad week or, I mean, you know, how does it really show up? So it often shows up in people who either have history of trauma or again, sustained chronic stress. Um, and there's usually a, a causative factor or something that you can associate to this feeling. It's definitely not just a bad day. If you have a bad day and then you kind of bounce back and you feel okay, and that happens once in a while, that's just a normal ebb and flow of life. Uh -huh. And we also expect sometimes, you know, particularly when circumstances change, like when we all had to go into quarantine and, and adjust our lives so much with social distancing and masking and all of these things that, that were very new to us at the beginning of the pandemic, that was going to cause a lot of upset initially until we could find a sort of find our counter counterbalance to that. Okay. Um, many cases, and I'll, I'll often differentiate between burnout and depression because okay. they can occur together, but they don't necessarily have to. So depression often feels like a weighted blanket and it applies to most of your life. You know, you're, you're either dissatisfied or you have very low energy in relationships, in work, in parenting, if you're a parent, um, 
it kind of applies broad spectrum. Burnout is often, again, associated with a specific circumstance. So your relationship might be really good, but you're very stressed out at work. So parenting is good, relationship is great. You've got a really supportive group of friends. You've got hobbies that you enjoy, but every time you go to work, you want to slam your face into a table because you hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, now, that, now there's a visual that I think a lot of people can relate to. You're probably going to get a lot of those from me. Um, <laughs> but, but it's something that you can tie it to a set of circumstances where if you can shift those or if, you know, inevitably, perhaps if it's a job, you have to leave the job for a different, you know, organization or different industry or whatever the case may be, if, if it ultimately comes to that there are ways that you can kind of course correct around that and it doesn't necessarily apply to your whole life. Okay, so so you said that one of the things that that people who have experienced trauma which, you know, I I may need you to explain that because I think I think most of us have experienced most of us. Tra trauma of some sort because I know a lot of people think of trauma yes. as just like the big things like like being in an accident yeah. or or you yeah. know being abused in some way but you know but there's a lot of other kinds of trauma that is more commonly accepted or not necessarily identified such as you know it's like if you're if you know your parents got divorced that can be trauma um you know so so one can you give a little bit example of what trauma is and how it causes burnout and are there other things that cause you know that make people susceptible to burnout other than trauma yeah absolutely so um this is a really good differentiation and you brought up a really important point because we do think of when we we hear the word trauma we think of big t trauma which is why i call divorce death of a parent abuse neglect those are the things that we that often fall into that category there's also little t trauma, which are the micro traumas that we experience every day. So you may have had a very supportive family home and parents who really showed up for you, but you were bullied at school every day from kindergarten to senior year. Um, there was actually a really interesting research study that was done a few years ago that examined the brains of people who did, had no reported childhood trauma, mm -hmm. who had very well-adjusted childhoods, but who had been experiencing chronic sustained work stress for years. And their brains looked shockingly similar to the brains of people who did experience childhood trauma. So it does not have to be this huge catastrophic thing. Okay. And things, other things that can sort of upset the apple cart and lead us to burnout are, you know, development of things like fibromyalgia, physical symptoms, um, accidents, illnesses, these types of things that affect our physiology in a way that it has to adjust to kind of turn that dial down. And as we lose those types of physical, psychological, emotional resources, it makes it harder to handle the day-to-day -day stress and it makes you more prone to burnout. So what should people be on the lookout for um, in terms of, you know, am, am I at risk? I mean, cause you, we know the last couple of years with the COVID and everything that came along with that and, you know, having to be isolated, which, you know, which we know is, um, really harmful. I mean, you know, um, 
isolation is is a form of torture. I mean, you know, uh, that your solitary confinement, it's used solitary, to- Yeah, I was going to say solitary confinement is a thing for a reason. Right, it, you know, and, and so, you know, so we were all on edge, you know, especially because we, you know, it, it was this new thing. I mean, we, you know, people were trying to figure out what it is, how should we respond to it? We're having all this stuff. Our lives were completely upended. Um, and you, so, so what, what should people be on the lookout for in terms of am i am i heading towards burnout because you know i think about a lot of people especially women who take on so much and then you know th- then they get so done and you know it's kind of like well why were you doing it this in the first place but i i i is that part of burnout is that part of what happens Absolutely. It's um, people who are either very type A or very, you know, needing to control their environment. I'm raising my hand if you're listening to this, because that was very much me. Um, If you're used to having things done a certain way, or if you want them done a certain way, or if there's a mentality of, if you want it done right, do it yourself. (laughs) That that can be something that leads to burnout. There, There can also be sort of the more silent ones where we get into these habits, particularly in relationships where it's like, I want something done my way. So I'm just going to do it. But if you mm-hmm. do that enough and the other person gets used to that and either they don't like being told how to do something because they have their own way of doing it, mm-hmm. or you just don't have those conversations around like, okay, we're just going to separate. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ease off the brakes a little bit. Every time I give something over to you, that kind of responsibility that we take on ourselves, whether it's as a partner, as an entrepreneur at work, you know, there's this whole movement right now. There's this buzzword of quiet quitting, <laughs> right? <laughs> of people just, just doing sort of the standard operating procedure associated with their job. And it's like, that's a movement right now because so many people, I think sometimes inherently take on that expectation of I can do this or I want it done a certain way. And then there are also supervisors who are like, let's see how much we can bleed these people for. So, you know, oh, you mean, systemic problem. Oh, you mean the um, do more with less, which I, you know, it's, like, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like at some point in time, you're going to hit a wall mm-hmm. on that. I mean, I remember I had a job. I worked. I worked in retail. Which, first off, that's a, that's that's abuse in and of itself. But that's a whole other. You deserve a congress- congressional medal of honor if you worked in retail. But <laughs> I but but I actually was working for a company that we were. You know that that they. I was working seven days a week, ten hours a day, and then they were complaining about my attitude. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, if you'd give me one day off, I would be mm-hmm. fine. I mean, I really do think I hit burnout at that point in time, just because I was. I was exhausted and I felt out of control. I felt like I didn't have any mm-hmm. say in what was happening in my life. Mm-hmm. So that that is definitely something that shows up as a symptom of burnout when you feel like you don't have control. One that really shows up that I think was probably showing up for you was resentment. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot with burnout um, because you are putting energy in places where it's either not being appreciated or it's not being used effectively, or there's just too much of it going out and not enough of it coming in. So resentment is a huge marker. We see that all the time in relationships. I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the physical symptoms that we see with that as well are things like brain fog, um, not being able to you know remember where you put your keys or finding them in the freezer. Um, (laughs) uh, reactions that are out of proportion to what was happening um, in a given instance. So um, one of my favorite examples of that for myself was in the throes of my 
my burnout, I came home and I was trying to get into my house and I couldn't get into my house. I was getting really frustrated and I realized I was using my car key, but it still took another, like it took a while, like 20 or 30 <laughs> seconds to realize that I wasn't trying to put my car key in the door. I was hitting the button of the car key while standing in front of my door. <laughs> and when I realized what happened, I dropped my keys and I started crying. Oh, that was a massive overblown reaction. I can look at it now. I'm like, oh, you twit. You were just doing that thing. Right. But that's, you know, years after once I've recovered. So that kind of brain fog and and inability to react appropriately to something. So, you know, I, I, I hesitate to use the word overreaction because mm-hmm. every reaction is real in the moment. And right. I think a lot of people weaponize that against individuals who are like, you're overreacting. And it's like, well, you're having an emotional response to an emotional situation. And if you don't have the resources emotionally, physically, psychologically to manage your state in that moment, that is an appropriate reaction to you. Uh Uh Um, I also see uh, ambivalence or apathy. So if there were certain things that you enjoyed doing or activities that you really loved that you either can't muster the energy for or don't find enjoyment in, and it's not a matter of like, I did that for a while and I enjoyed it, but I'm going to put that down and find something new. Uh-huh. It's a matter of like, you you literally just don't care if you ever do it again and you don't care if you do anything else either. Um, that sort of like just sitting and and binging Netflix because you don't have the wherewithal to do anything else. I call that burnout boredom. Okay. So you're like, I'm bored, but I don't want to do anything. Uh-huh. There's boredom that, that lends itself to creativity of creating open space. So you can just see what happens. And then there's burnout boredom, which is, I just don't want to do anything. Um, and then there are physical symptoms as well. So okay. I had mentioned the brain fog, which is kind of a combo platter of physical and, and psychological, uh-huh. um, but that can have underlying effects like nutritional deficiencies leaky gut, small intestine, bacterial overgrowth. The more that we learn about the gut, the more we understand its critical role Uh in cognitive function and emotional regulation. So if you've got gut imbalances, if you have high or low cortisol, you know, your cortisol is on a 24 hour rhythm. We think it's a hormone and we think about hormones as just these things that we have in our body, but our body creates them and breaks them down based on how much they need at any given time. So if that 24 hour rhythm of when your cortisol is supposed to go up versus when it's supposed to go down is out of whack, or you're just producing too much overall or not enough overall, that's going to impact how you engage with the world and your ability to, again, respond appropriately at appropriate times. So, so these are all things to keep an eye out for. It doesn't, you know, and you know, it's one of those things where you I think people frequently will just push themselves until they drop because they're, they're ignoring, or it's like, Oh, I'll deal with that later. I mean, and sometimes, sometimes that's appropriate. Um, but other t- but I think what I'm hearing is that if we do it for too long, then it actually has real, um, impact, long-term impact, not just, not just a temporary impact. Is that, do I have that right? Absolutely. I mean, I used to be an emergency medical technician, so I had to, that was the time for me to compartmentalize. If I was going through a breakup, it didn't matter if somebody had a car accident and that they needed me to be there. Right. That was not the time to deal with my emotions. Um, as a result of that, and many other things in my life leading up to that, I became so good at compartmentalizing that I ended up burning out. Uh-huh. Um, and it, It sounds so funny to people, but when we talk about recovery, because, and I know you wanted to get into this eventually, but recovery Uh and prevention are two different things. Right. And when we start with recovery, 
one of the things that we do is tell people drink when you're thirsty, pee when you need to. <laughs> if you are sitting at your desk and you have to pee and you're like, I will do that at the end of this email, or I will do that in a half an hour when I finish this presentation, that is your body's biological signal telling you this needs to happen now. Right. And when we override those small ones, we also start to override the bigger ones. Interesting. And eventually yeah. we just don't listen to our body anymore. So <laughs> when we start with recovery. We start with very simple things of like pee when you need to pee. Right. Drink when you need to drink, eat when you are hungry. And it sounds so simple. People are like, that's stupid. And it's like, right, but you're not doing it. But you're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, well, How and stupid a, is it? Well, but and unfortunately, and, and sorry, I'm I'm flashing because you know, up, you know, my daughter had been a teacher. She left the profession. Um, but you know, for teachers, they can't. I mean, that's that's one of the things, you know, and 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 that's right. Very at this point in time, a very high stress, high burnout position. And I love, you know, and I sort of love the quiet quitting. That you know, it's like does this really need to get done and do I need to do it? And do I need to do it now? I mean, there's these, all these questions that I think that we're going to get to in, in just a moment. Um, and I need to remind the listeners that this is happily ever after is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries and I'm talking with functional medicine specialist and burnout recovery expert Elizabeth Collins about the impact of burnout on your personal health and the health of your marriage. And as we've been talking about, the last few years have been difficult for many of us. And it can seem like everything is out of our control and just getting worse. But there are actually steps you can take to bring calm and order to your life and marriage. And if you're ready to not just learn what they are, but actually put them into action, I can help. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment and get in touch with me to schedule your free five-star relationship call. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. And now I want to get back to this conversation about burnout and so, and, and really what I really want to talk about is how does you burning out or your partner burning out impact the relationship? So obviously we've talked about, you know, um, things that, that, things that we just don't feel like we have the energy to do or things that, you know, or we have the brain fog. Um, Elizabeth, what other kinds of impacts, I mean, are there on the relationship itself, not necessarily you personally, because obviously how we feel personally is going to impact how we show up, but, but how else does it impact relationships? It can be really difficult because again, over time, burnout is one of these insidious things. So by the time you realize that you're in it, mm -hmm. you've been in it for a really long time. And a lot of the tools that we see for burnout are for prevention. We don't have a lot of stuff for recovery. And if you're already in burnout, those tools for recover for prevention are not going to be beneficial for you from a perspective of recovery. Okay. So once you identify that you or your partner is there, a lot of the resources that are out there to quote unquote, help people aren't necessarily actually helpful. And so it can be really challenging in relationships. It, let's say you're the one that's burnt out and your partner is the one that's kind of on the periphery of this. Uh -huh. 
you don't have the energy to show up or you're saying I need more help. They're feeling really strung out and they're like, well, why don't you eat better? Or why don't you meditate? Or why why don't you do these things that are supposed to be really good for burnout? Right. Burnt out brains actually shrink. So your amygdala gets bigger. Your amygdala is the center of emotional processing, primarily fear and danger. Mm -hmm. And so as that grows, it identifies more in your environment that is dangerous or something to be afraid of. The connections to a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex are responsible for our reactions and the connections between the amygdala and the anterior cingulate cortex get smaller. Okay. So you recognize more as danger and you react more quote unquote inappropriately. So that's where angry outbursts come from. That's where crying jags come from. That's where dropping your keys and bursting into tears come from. <laughs> These are all really th- difficult things for a partner to deal with. Because right. It looks like a lot of dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And the other issue is that your prefrontal cortex shrinks. So this is the center of cognitive function. It's the center of short-term and long-term memory. Most importantly, for some of the people that I see, it's the center for inhibitory processes and long-term habit formation. So that's why some people start coming home and feeling like they can't relax until they have a glass or two or four of wine. Right. And it's much harder for them to stop. Or it's very difficult for them to create healthy habits. Like I'm just going to change my diet and eat better and cut back on sugar. Or I'm going to meditate every day. They literally don't have the brain power to do this. And Mm -hmm. in relationships, when we don't understand how the brain and the body change as a result of burnout, it can be very difficult for partners to wrap their heads around the difficulty of some of these tools that are out there because there's the general world is saying, eat better, meditate, <laughs> drink more water, get more sleep. If you could do those things easily and well, you'd already be doing them. Oh yeah. So I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so there tends to be a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding around that. And I think particularly in the West, we also have a culture where we're getting better about it. I think because so many people are interested in going to therapy as a result of needing it through a pandemic um, and all of the stresses that came with that. But historically speaking, we are not good about having honest, supportive conversations because we haven't learned how to do that as a culture. That is not something that we have supported and we don't have the skills to do that. So until we get the skills, it's very difficult to have conversations to show up to your partner and say, this is what I'm feeling and I need help. We're also not encouraged to ask for help. <laughs> America's a very pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? You know, you can do it. There's a, a dummy's guide to whatever for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and you can have it all. So right. When you put that together. It's a really nasty cocktail that predisposes people to burnout and will absolutely affect their relationships because we take out so much of our difficult emotions on the people who are closest to us because they feel safe. Yes. And, and sometimes um, because we don't also have the tools, relationship tools that, you know, we, that's how burnout I think can frequently happen in relationships. I know there's this um, idea right now and it's called emotional or, or mental load. And it's, you know, the non Mm-hmm. you know, the non-action stuff. It's, it's the keeping track of the doctor's appointments and the holidays and the, and, you know, the, the, the schedules and stuff, which 
tends to be handled more by women. And I, and I think that's, be, and, and, and maybe it's just because of our training and, you know, we're, we're constantly on guard for making sure that everybody else is functioning well. We just kind of forget that we're supposed to focus on ourselves. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times I have heard a client say, you know, you know, when, when I tell them to talk about self-care, they go, isn't that selfish? And I'm going, oh my God, no. <laughs> It's actually selfish not to take care of yourself. Right. And so self-care is not selfish. And also a bath will will not fix burnout. No. And so when we talk about self-care, we need to orient what that looks like at various stages of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Self-care at the beginning of burnout recovery is not necessarily going to look the same as self-care after you've been through recovery and you've got a much better handle on your boundaries and everything like that. But okay. part of burnout for many people comes from being a people pleaser mm-hmm. or taking on too much responsibility. And I, I do feel that it falls disproportionately on women, but I also know men who deal with this as well, Yep. particularly if you've got, you know, either a single dad or you've got a split household where it is equal responsibility to make sure that, you know, custody arrangements and holidays and all of these other, you know, who's taking the kids to the doctor's appointment, right. the dentist appointment fall when you have them or when I have them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is, there is that split. And when we tend to the people pleasing scenario, it's very easy to put ourselves on the back burner. And part of burnout recovery is learning to identify your wants, needs, preferences, and desires and be able to verbalize them in a way that feels safe for you. And that's very difficult because sometimes, particularly in relationships where if someone has become reliant on you for your people-pleasing tendencies, they don't like having those conversations. If you've always been somebody who doesn't care where you go out to eat on a Friday night and all of your sudden, all of a sudden you're like, I want tacos. That, <laughs> that might be enough to throw somebody off and be like, wait, what? Why are you being so aggressive? <laughs> like, well, well, and and... and- you know, and, and that is so important to, to talk about because when, when we start becoming aware of our own challenges, and I'm so glad you mentioned boundaries, um, because, you know, that is really an important aspect to relationships. But suddenly, you know, it's like if I've been doing something for 10 years and suddenly I decide I'm done doing it and the other person is like, well, I didn't know you didn't want to do this because, you know, this is that, that whole people pleasing thing. So I do want to get into, um, you talked about, there's a difference between healing burnout and preventing burnout. So what do we need to do to heal it? If it, you know, if we've actually, if we've actually been experiencing it, what, what would help us heal it? Some of the places that we start with that are recognizing those wants, needs, preferences, and desires. Most of the time we have been encouraged to put others' needs before our own. Uh So it doesn't also have to be big things. One of the things that my recovery coach uh, learned about herself in her process of her own recovery was that she likes everything on a sandwich sliced very thin. Okay. Her tomatoes sliced thin, her cheese, her meat, her lettuce, everything. She likes it thin and layered in a way that when you bite into the sandwich, you get a bite of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of those thick tomatoes that it pushes out the back of your bread. That actually pissed her off. <laughs> and so she was going on a right. hike with her husband. And he was like, why don't we pick up sandwiches? It'll take less time. And she said, yeah, but then I may not get the sandwich that I like. And then I'll have a dead tomato on the, you know, the trail 
because it popped out of my sandwich. I want the sandwich I like. So it's as simple as starting with very basic <laughs> preferences like that. Right. Um, so we start looking at really basic things. Do you like the coffee mug that you drink out of? Do you like the color of the walls in your bedroom or the texture of the sheets that you sleep on? Hmm. All of these things take a mental real estate. If you don't like them, you notice them a lot more than if you do like them, because if you do like them, you just feel good. Right. So we start by adjusting your environment. We start by looking at your preferences and we start by looking at your values. What's important to you as an individual to the exclusion of your partner, your children, your parents, society. Your values are your values and there's nothing wrong with that. But once you know your values, you understand your boundaries. So your okay. values help you set your boundaries. And it can be really useful if you have a partner that's open to this, to do a values exercise with them uh -huh. and say, okay, these are my values. What are your values with no judgment attached? Because then it helps you understand where you want to put your energy and where you won't put your energy. And it starts creating those boundaries for you. Okay. For some of the people that I work with, I, it, particularly in entrepreneurship, we look at internal boundaries. So where am I crossing my own boundaries? Where am I doing my partner's laundry when I don't have to because they're perfectly capable of doing their own laundry? Right. An entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I used to answer phone calls and text messages at 5 p.m. on a Sunday when I was a little baby green integrative medicine practitioner because I wanted people to come in. And I, uh -huh. I was in a scarcity mindset and I was right. afraid if I didn't get back to them the same day, they wouldn't contact me. Uh -huh. No one needs an on-call acupuncturist in America. <laughs> you don't, you do not need a 24 hour emergency line. If you have one and you like that, that's great. I love that for you, but that's not how I want to run my business. Uh -huh. So I was getting resentful because these people were texting me at 8 PM on a Sunday night. Right. That's not their problem. It's <laughs> my problem to turn my phone off uh -huh. or yeah, it down or adjust, you know, because you didn't set your boundary. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that was an internal brand that had nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just deciding, okay, this is where I want to put my own energy for myself or not. And that's an easier place to set boundaries than setting them with somebody else. So sometimes it's really useful to start with those internal boundaries and say like, okay, if I'm not ready to have that conversation about the laundry, where can I adjust my own internal boundaries? And as I become more comfortable with holding those with myself, it will make it not necessarily easier. Conversations about boundaries and change and values are always difficult. Yes, they are. It can <sighs> give you a little bit more confidence because you've seen it work internally. Okay. So how do, how do we prevent, I mean, I know we're talking about this and, and, you know, so what would help us? I mean, because obviously this is one of those things to prevent it. We need to be much more aware of what's going on. I'm always, I'm always about being proactive because it's always easier to keep something from happening than fix it once it's happened. Right. It's like, it's why we take our cars in to have the oil change so that they don't seize up on us in the middle of the interstate, you know? Um, but we seem to not do the same thing in, in, our personal lives. So how can we prevent it? We can be more in tune with ourselves and our environment. So meditation can be really useful for prevention okay. and eating as clean as you can for your body, whatever that means. I try not to get terribly prescriptive about the way that people eat. Right. We know that certain things, you know, I hate to say it because I love it, but sugar is not good for you. Right. <laughs> so have it in moderation have it once in a while, but if it's something that you're eating constantly, that's going to affect your gut microbiome. It's going to affect your, your insulin sensitivity. It's going to do a lot of things. So, you know, get 
a level of exercise that feels appropriate for you. In burnout recovery, a lot of times people are either very prone to injury or intense physical activity exhausts them. Right. So we may have them do like a yoga nidra, which is literally just laying there and doing progressive relaxation, which is a really great somatic tool to get you in touch with your body. Um, or we might have them do yin yoga. So something that is incredibly low intensity. Um, you're not looking to lose weight. You're not looking to get your heart rate up. Your body can't handle those things. When you are working on prevention, doing something that's a little more active that still doesn't exhaust you, that still feels good, you know, being a little bit tired after a workout is okay, but you don't <laughs> want to be depleting your resources so much that it's problematic for uh -huh. you. Um, having a good balance between workout and recovery, you know, the types of things that we think about getting enough sunlight, we've kind of demonized sunlight over the years and everybody's like, cover your entire body in SPF 50, right? You need sunlight. You yes, know? we do. Vitamin D is, vitamin D is one of the, the most primary things that comes from sunlight exposure, but sunlight does so much more for us in terms of being able to regulate our circadian rhythms, getting us to sleep and wake appropriately. So getting time outside in nature, which is hard for me because I'm an introvert who likes to read and I have cats. So I can happily <laughs> be, live in my third story apartment in front of a window for the rest of my life and be like, right. I'm getting vitamin D. Right. Not. Um, you know, get your feet out in nature. So the types of things that we have for prevention are actually pretty well known. When we're doing recovery, we scale a lot of those back. So if you can get yourself out in nature, that's great, but you're probably not going to have the mental bandwidth to meditate for 15 minutes. So breathe for 60 seconds. Okay. Take four deep breaths uh -huh. that's it. and do that a couple of times a day, because when we're burnt out, our brain and body no longer recognize rest as safe. So we have to get our body into a state that feels safe before we can start to really engage with preventative tools. I love that. Um, you know, and, and when I work with my clients, you know, it's like, I tell people, it's like never underestimate the power of just simply breathing. And, you know, we take that, we take that for granted. And, you know, I was, it was not my, my daughter was having a, an anxiety attack a couple of days ago and she, she was, she was actually shaking. She was cold that that was, some, and, and I just wrapped my arms around her and held her tight. And I said, okay, just, just breathe with me. And as soon as we calmed her breathing down, everything else calmed down. But, you know, we forget when we're, when we're in that panic mode, because that's what we do. We, 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 we breathe really, really quickly and we don't realize all the imp implications for that. So I love, you know, these simple things about, you know, breathing eating as well as you can, sleeping as best as you can. Because I always go that, that place with my clients, you know, it's like, you know, eating, sleeping, exercise, whatever, or I, maybe I should just say moving um, because these yeah, things, movement me, is great, you know, because exercise can be, you know, people like, I don't want to exercise. It's like, well, just go, go for a walk in the park, you know, not, right. not, not with the intention of getting your heart rate up, but just with the intention of being, of moving. Um, because I think, you know, we forget how our bodies were designed and they weren't designed for the 24 seven, 365. <laughs> I mean, they weren't designed to handle what we've been asking them to handle. So my guess, I'm not surprised that people are suffering burnout all over the place. So can you tell people where they can learn more about you, about burnout, about, you know, what they, what they can do. And by the way, please don't think it's, don't think self-care is selfish because, oh my gosh, <laughs> it is not. 
So you can find me uh, online at www.theburnoutwitch.com. And my Instagram handle is theburnoutwitch as well. Uh, same handle on TikTok, though I'm almost never on it. Um, I can, I, that's part of my burnout recovery was knowing right. that I wasn't going to spread myself too thin over social media. So I picked one and I stuck to it. So it's right. mostly Instagram. Um, I'm also on insight timer under, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Collins, I think it is. Um, and you can also find me under the burnout, Witch. and I've got a couple of meditations on there that can be really helpful for people. So I have one for releasing anxiety from the body. I have a one minute meditation, um, for just kind of like a quick reset. That's like four deep breaths and progressively relaxing a couple parts of the body. Uh-huh. And, um, I also use tarot with my clients as a thought exercise. So I'll be recording certain, um, meditations associated with tarot cards um, that take you on a little bit of a journey to embody whatever that card means, which can be really fun. So those are going to be coming out in the next month or two, I think. Um, And if you want to know more about burnout, you can obviously find all of that information on my channels, but you can also check out um, Kate Donovan Speaks and it's C-A-I-T. Um, she is one of the foremost burnout experts and coaches um, around. She's written a book called The Bounce Back Ability Factor, which is really useful. And there's another book by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And that's, I think, just called Burnout. Um, and that came out a few years ago as well. And they also put some really, really great research and tools in there for individuals who are experiencing burnout or who think that they're on their way there. Well, that's fantastic. So what I want you guys to realize that life is really going to be challenging at times. And if you've been surviving the last two years, you know what I mean. And you know, your marriage can be challenging as well, but knowing what to do when things get tough is what will get you through. Taking charge of your physical, emotional, and mental health is what will keep you moving forward in a positive, productive way, no matter what gets thrown at you. So hopefully you've learned a lot today and hopefully one of the things that you will do to continue to improve your relationships is to listen to this show. And so until next week, stay loving.